Hello and welcome to uh, Not the Vorthos Cast. Well, kind of Not the Vorthos Cast. Uh, we have a very special episode. It is uh, the return of Beyond the Multiverse, <gasps> uh, where we are covering lore from other IPs, not Magic the Gathering, but lore from things that are not uh, at all related to Magic the Gathering. So that's why we've chosen something that's not at all related to Magic the Gathering to talk about today, which is Assassin's Creed. No relation to Magic the Gathering at all. Uh, definitely not any upcoming crossovers happening in the the far-ish future. Uh, but this week, I'm joined by a very special guest who uh, many of you probably don't know. Never heard of me before. No, no, no. Is sort of an expert in Assassin's Creed. Well, maybe not expert, but a very well-read uh, knowledge of Assassin's Creed, which is a... Uh, uh, I think it's actually two people. It's Jay and Ellie. No, it's just Jay and Ellie. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Oh. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Yes. <laughs> I. So in all seriousness, um, this is the kind of thing Beyond the Multiverse is for, which Universes Beyond definitely didn't steal, you know, the, the concept of that name from us <laughs> because we definitely came up with... Uh, you, uh, what, what do we call this? Beyond the Multiverse before Universes mm-hmm. Beyond was announced. Uh, but I'm not I'm not salty or anything. It's fine. No, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got two <laughs> previous episodes, uh, one on uh, World of Warcraft and one on League of Legends, both of which I think are great. Uh, we're hopefully going to be doing some more in the, the future. We've just kind of, you know, Magic is putting out a lot of lore content in the last couple of years. It's really hard to find time for non-Magic lore. Yeah, so... Beyond the multiverse, we originally conceived to, like, fill time back when we were getting, you know, one 50,000-word novella every three months, and that was it for lore content for that year. And then, of course, things went back to web fiction, and, like, we we barely have time to get through everything we want to get through before the next set of web fiction is out. (laughs) So these are these are a little bit yeah. rare because we got to fit them in more in our spare time. Well, uh, let's let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, first, first thing we always have to do is uh, you got to tell us a little bit about yourself, Jay. Uh, who are you? What do you do? What's your uh, relationship to Assassin's Creed? Uh, so my name is Jay Anelli. Uh, I have no professional relationship to Assassin's Creed whatsoever, except that I am obsessed with these games. Uh, back in the day, I used to 100% them just to get like the 10 second deep lore tease you could get from collecting <laughs> all of a certain item in these games. Like, yeah, I do. I definitely want to spend an extra 12 hours of my life hunting down these different items so that I can see a five second clip of uh, Adam and Eve escaping the alien race that has enslaved them, basically. <laughs> God, this is such a weird lore. <laughs> 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 we'll, we, we can talk. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, so I know I know a lot about Assassin's Creed. I don't know everything. I'm sure there are people out there who are like way more lore experts than me. Uh, I played each of these games when it came out. Uh, I had to remind myself of some of the lore of the early games, but the more recent games, I definitely remember quite a bit better. In any case, Assassin's Creed is a franchise uh that has basically two different aspects going on for it there is usually a modern day framing plot uh about a conflict between these two groups that still exist in some form 
from the main game, which takes place anywhere from centuries to millennia in the past and follows some bad guy or another, some 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 assassin or another going after some bad guy. Um, sometimes the assassins aren't those good guys themselves, but uh, yeah, it's 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 I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, the frame stories have been stronger and weaker over the years, but essentially, it's a it's a, it's definitely an interesting game series. I remember when it came out, I was uh, in my my younger years, um, still old enough to play these games, but uh, I don't want people to think I'm that old. Uh, and I uh, I remember renting it for my Xbox 360 from a Blockbuster. So if that gives an idea of how old these this game series is to some listeners. Uh, I know some of our listeners have never experienced an Xbox 360 and definitely not a blockbuster. Uh, but I definitely remember it coming out as kind of a groundbreaking game. And the story really threw me for a loop. Uh, I loved it and then hated it almost immediately <laughs> uh, upon a big reveal that happens in the first game when you find out that, hey, there is a modern framing, which is something I thought they would like stop doing but apparently carries through all of the games or at least most of them to 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 greater or lesser degrees yeah and we can talk about that as we go uh so simply put the modern day uh there is there are the assassins who have existed in some form or another for over 2000 years uh and then there's the templar order which officially disbanded when the real life templar order did in like the 18th or 19th century i forget which uh, but has remained as a sort of secret society with fingers in the pies of everything around the world. Uh, their biggest projection of power is this mega corporation uh, owned by the Templar Order called Abstergo. Uh, and so Abstergo is like, uh, it's a tech company, it's an entertainment company, uh, it's a paramilitary company, like it does literally everything. And they are terrifying. They're basically Amazon. So uh, I will admit to having seen the name Abstergo in the past related to Assassin's Creed. I definitely thought it was just a name of one of the main characters because um, <laughs> their names all kind of feel like that. But uh, so you're telling me there's this like ancient order of uh, of crusaders that have assumed power over the globe. So this is really just like an anti-Catholic New World Order game is what we're saying. So the... The Templar order in the games aren't strictly speaking Catholic. Like they come from, they've definitely have power in the church. Uh, and many of them have been high ranking people in the church, including there, there has been at least one Templar who was Pope. Uh, and we'll get, we'll get <laughs> yeah. to him in a second. That's the most amazing story. All right. Yeah. Before we get too deep into talking about the, um, the anti Catholic tirade, uh, this is funny coming from two Italian Americans. Uh, <laughs> uh, I went to just Catholic start school us off, too. Us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God! Uh, tell us the uh, the the basic lore. Where does the game start? How does this story begin, and where does it take us? Uh, so the original game introduces us to the assassins and the uh, the Templar Order, who are very um, uh, they're very public at this point in time in the twelfth centuries. Uh, during the Crusades, in, it's in the, takes place in the Holy Land, and we meet Alta Altair, who is the I don't know if it's Altair Altair. I, I I'm not sure exactly how you're supposed to pronounce. We it. don't we don't ask you Altair. on the show to pronounce yeah, things correctly, yeah, Jay. Yeah. We are aware. I think it's just Altair. <laughs> um, 
he is an accomplished assassin who's tasked by his uh, assassin order leader, uh, known as Mentor, uh, to hunt down the Templar occupying the Holy Land. Uh, so we're introduced to a lot of mainstays of the franchise. There's the the symbol of the franchise, which is basically this stylized A without a line going across it. Uh, we later learn that that comes from like an eagle skull. Um, it's it's the assassin logo essentially. It's very iconic. It's in all the games they do like a fun reinterpretation of it for marketing. Um, so the newest one uh, is the the logo is actually uh, calligraphy uh, Arabic calligraphy, uh, and it looks really cool the way they've they've lined it up there. Uh, it's also been like two axes kind of merging at the top for the Viking one and and stuff like that. Uh, in the modern day, we know the assassins. They're kind of like hacktivists. They still do some assassination, assassination stuff, but there's more like a, a resistance group. Not all of them are, you know, climbing up 10 story buildings and leaping down to murder people. Uh, the big iconic thing about these assassins are uh, it is a stealth game. And a lot of the stealth involves being on rooftops or diving from heights into um, like conveniently stacked piles of hay, which existed all over <laughs> the ancient world. And you could jump 10 stories and land in this pile of hay and come out just fine. Uh, and it also counts as like a hiding zone. And the stealth is like varied over the years, too. Uh, and they are also really well known for what's called the hidden blade. Uh, which is like a, a blade that straps to the inside of the wrist uh, and with like a flick of the wrist, kind of like Spider-Man doing his pew pew, um, the, the blade will come out and they can stab people with it. Uh, back in the day, in order to hide it even better, they would cut off part of their ring finger, like half their ring finger so that the blade could slide neatly through there. Um, the uh, other more recent examples are like, that's, we don't really need to do that. <laughs> we can, I can handle this in another way. The two most iconic visually uh, aspects of Assassin's Creed as someone who's sort of outside of it are probably the uh, jumping from the top of a very tall building to land in a hay. Uh, With an eagle screech in the background. Really important. Yeah. There's always an eagle screech in the background. It's, it's also very important to know that, like, physically you should never do that. Um, <laughs> you will die. There's, there's no reason why those people are not dead. Uh, that is very iconic. And then also, yeah, the wrist blade. It's sort of like one of the most, like, iconic elements of Assassin's Creed, I believe. Like, you know, it sort of, like, existed in the popular culture before then. But definitely after Assassin's Creed... An assassin would have a blade that came out from their wrist area. That was like the big thing. The the pointed hood as well, like the hooded outfit that they mm -hmm. pull the ho hood up over their head and it's kind of like comes down to a point, like a, almost like a widow's peak kind of point is also one of the really iconic aspects of their designs. Like lots of other things change, but those things kind of stay the same. Uh, some of the assassins also have like a sixth sense called eagle vision. There's a whole lot of like eagle metaphors here, you know, jumping off things mm -hmm. with the eagle screech in the background. They have eagle vision. It's really there because of like mechanics. Uh, basically, <laughs> it lets you you turn on your eagle vision and you can see your target in the midst of a whole bunch of other people um, or you can see threats and things. Uh, ah, yes. Yeah, so you, you turn on your eagle vision and it gives you a. 
uh, mystical powers that put a little arrow in the direction where you're supposed to be walking. <laughs> and uh, uh, you can you can sense how many points of health you have left before you die. Now that's, that one, that's what that's, Eagle Vision Yeah, is. yeah, yeah. No, that, that's not quite it. But yeah, I mean, it is it is really a gameplay conceit. And, and what it, it does has varied over the years. Um, they also have an, a creed, which has been debated between some of the games in terms of what it really means. Uh, but the the Assassin's Creed that it's named after is nothing is true. Everything is permitted. Uh, and that's that's a lot to unpack. I'm not going to get into it. There's like uh, there's like an entire <laughs> plot of a game uh, that goes into like, does this mean the assassins are allowed to do whatever they want? Or does this mean that you can do whatever you want, but there are consequences and frequently, the assassins are the consequences for people who otherwise might not experience them. Um, and then the last thing you should know is that there was like an ancient... I mentioned this a little bit earlier. There was like an ancient humanoid society of what humans considered gods. Uh, they were several feet taller than us, but otherwise looked mostly human. Um, called the Isu, and they genetically engineered humans as like a servant race for them. And that that is the origin of humanity in these games. I'm I'm sorry, but this this revelation reading you wrote a Twitter thread about all this, yeah. and that's what sort of sparked <laughs> this discussion. Um I have only played the first game and I gave up the moment I realized I was in the modern world because I was like, what is this? I want to be killing people in ancient Holy Land. Uh, and when you wrote this thread and I got to that point, I genuinely out loud said, what the? <laughs> I was just like, I, I'm, it's just so out there. And I was not expecting that to be part of the lore, but like, I guess it is. And so you can tell us about that. Yeah, it is. It's very much a sci-fi franchise that is usually rooted in like a fantasy aesthetic like because this is all his his quote-unquote historical stuff uh but there are like sci-fi elements it's i really enjoy that because it was kind of it's kind of unique in the the genre um but anyway these isu like they don't matter as much as the what they've left behind so they've left behind like these high-tech ruins uh they've left behind these high-tech artifacts and so these two sides over the centuries have fought over these uh, what are called pieces of Eden, um, these different devices that give like massive power, massive, massive power. Um, one of the one of the big ones is called an apple of Eden. There are many of them, but they allow like uh, mind control and to create illusions. And they have like uh, databases of technology that's way beyond what anyone should be able to make in that time period. And so obviously mm -hmm. these are really valuable things. Uh, and the Templar order wants to believes humanity inherently needs to be controlled because they'll just descend into chaos and destroy themselves. Um, and the assassins believe, Hey, no, don't do that. And we, uh, they remove people who who try to control humanity through unjust means like that and mm -hmm. just like the catholic church it, sure <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm i'm uh just still sort of fascinated by the fact that one of the the big bad evil guys of one of this games is, uh, is literally just the, pope. the pope yeah it's just the pope yeah well i'll talk i'll talk about him in a second i'm not going to get too in depth into many of the villains of the games because a lot of them are frankly mm -hmm. 
forgettable. Um, typically what they'll do with these games. Okay. So let me get to the last sci-fi conceit you need to know about this is that, uh, the Isu are, I don't want to call them fourth dimensional beings, but they thought of time very differently than humans. Uh, and one thing that happens in this game that you've kind of mentioned earlier, uh, is there is a device called the animus, which can, uh, access uh, an individual's uh, ancestral memories through like their genetics. It's really stupid pseudosciencey stuff, uh, but that is how you get the frame story. So basically uh, you play the original game, you play as this uh, 12th century assassin until you wake up and whoops, you're not actually him. You are a dis distant descendant of him who is has been kidnapped by Abstergo uh, and uh, is basically being forced to remember his memories so that they can find something that only this ancestor knew. Uh, and this this the character you play as in the modern day is called Desmond Miles, and he's trying to put together what exactly is going on. And he he eventually realizes that Abstergo is a front is the modern day front for the Templar Order. Uh, so long story short about Altair's story is he ends up assassinating all the Templars in the Holy Land only to realize, uh, that his mentor, Al-Mu'alim, uh, is not a very good guy. <laughs> so he <laughs> was actually working with the Templar because he wanted a piece of Eden called the Apple of Eden, which is the one I talked about earlier that it can do illusions and mind control and stuff. So Altair, who has kind of over the course of the story, uh, learned a bit more responsibility. Like he's very early on in the story, he's very brash and arrogant. And he realizes, you know, the value of more discretion um, and that uh, controlling oneself, you know, like we talked about the creed earlier, uh, just because nothing is true and everything is permitted does not mean that you should do whatever you want. Uh, so he defeats his mentor, takes the piece of Eden, uh, hides it away. Uh, but at the end, when he gets the piece of Eden, uh, he sees a map that has like a list of all these different Isu sites, which is what in the future the Abstergo people are after. So they all, all of a sudden have this map of all these different artifacts they can find in the present. So that's kind of how the plot goes with a lot of these games. So they uh, they just said, hey, at the end of this first game, we're just going to put this thing in here that says we can have as many sequels as we want and we can put them wherever we want. Right. This big map says it's all over. Right, 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 right. Um, a, a funny anecdote about this game. I think these games started as like a Prince of Persia remake of some sort. Because <laughs> I remember back in the day, you know, everyone was excited about Prince of Persia. And then we got these games were coming out and there was like it, it like changed and originally was going to be linked to like the Prince of Persia games, but I think that changed at some point. I vaguely remember all of this from the mid two thousands. Um, so anyway, uh, the first few games all follow Desmond going into various ancestors memories to find things. He escapes Abstergo, uh, with the help of a, a lab assistant at Abstergo named Lucy, who's secretly working with the assassins, but is also secretly still working with Abstergo. She's a triple agent. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, she is also played by, uh, Kristen Bell, uh, <laughs> which is, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, 
So in Assassin's Creed 2, like I said, he escapes. You end up meeting um, some mainstays in the franchise. So like Desmond isn't around forever, uh, but his father, uh, who is the mentor of the modern assassins, which we learn as the games go on, that, oh, he's not just a random bartender. He does have this history, and he escaped this, what he thought was a cult as a young man. Uh, But it turns out everything his family was saying was true. Uh, his father's also played by John Delancey. So if you if you know Q from Star Trek, that's who is the voice actor of his dad. Uh, and then there are two people who appear through the the two modern day people who appear in most of the games are Sean Hastings, who is a kind of sarcastic, uh, sarcastic British historian and Rebecca Crane, who's kind of like a, a punk hacktivist person. Uh, they're both very fun characters because their interplay is a lot of fun because they're very different people, but they're, they very clearly care about each other. Um, so anyway, in Assassin's Creed 2, you play probably the most popular protagonist in the franchise uh, in the historical narrative, which is Ezio Adetore de Frenzi. Um, he's like, he's from Florence. He's like a, Oh, with a, with a name like that. I thought he was like, I don't know, from Jersey or yeah, something. Yeah, Jersey. Ezio <laughs> Auditore de Jersey. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Firenze is Florence. It's, it's the, the Italian name for Florence. So he is like, he is a very charming playboy type character at the beginning of the game. And he witnesses his entire family murdered in a political coup, basically. They're all hanged. Uh, And he gets involved with the assassins that way. Um, And it turns out the leader of the uh, people who of the Templar and the people who murdered his family is the same guy, uh, a very famous historical figure named Rodrigo Borgia. Borgia. Did you say Borgia or Borgia? I think it's. I have it's no what idea. I, well, you think? <laughs> do you think I, I know well, anyway, how to pronounce any Italian? Rodrigo names. is uh, searching for the vault, which is a, like a treasure, supposed to be a treasure trove of pieces of Eden. Uh, and I'm gonna cut this a little short because there's a long game where Ezio, Ezio has like a lot of the best character development in the franchise because there's like two more games with him uh, where you continue to where he he builds up the assassin order. Um, into something that lasts for generations. Uh, and you, you eventually play with him as like an old man, like a very experienced guy um, in the two follow-up games. So there's Assassin's Creed 2, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, and then I think the last one is Revelations? Yeah, Revelations. Um, and he's very popular too because he's got like three games in the franchise. He's the, mm-hmm. he's the most recurring character. But anyway, back in the first one, uh, Rodrigo, in order to access the vault, becomes Pope. <laughs> the, <laughs> the papal staff turns out to be a piece of Eden, and this vault that he's after is literally beneath the Vatican. And so in like the final mission type thing, uh, you go to the Vatican to assassinate the Pope, and you end up getting in a fist fight with the pope in the vatican it is it is it is quite the thing <laughs> i'm i'm pretty sure that playing this game gets you automatically excommunicated from the church but uh you know it's probably worth it you get to fist fight the pope 
but this game also reveals like this overarching plot for like the Desmond Miles games where he's the frame character uh, where um, you, there are these three Isu who have kind of lived on through um, they're like holograms. They're basically AI now. Uh, Minerva, Jupiter, and I forget the last one. I'll get to her in a second. Uh, I think it was Juno. And Juno, yeah, fire. yeah, yeah. So Minerva warns Ezio about a coming apocalypse. However, she's not really talking to Ezio. Ezio, she knows that at some point in the future, Desmond will be reliving these memories, and so this is sometimes how information from these Isu is communicated to the modern day characters is through an ancestor because the Isu have this technology where they can see like all these possible futures and they still couldn't save themselves, but that, that's a whole thing we'll get into in a minute too. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, but anyway, that becomes kind of the driving plot for the next few games is Desmond is looking for things that can potentially save the world from this, I think it's like a solar flare event um, that would wipe out most of life on Earth, most intelligent life on Earth, at least. Oh, there's not a lot of that left. So, so they he eventually learns from from the other Isu uh, that there is a great temple buried beneath what will become New York City uh that has that's like a central hub of all these different isu technologies that were being used to uh defend against the flare that happened that wiped them out many many years ago so basically there's they the isu at the time couldn't figure out how to do it like they had a bunch of different projects none of which would work by themselves all the data on them and the controls went to this one temple and so if um Desmond can just find this temple, he can activate all of them at once, and that should shield most of the Earth and basically save humanity. And this this temple is conveniently located beneath New York City. Yeah. So that uh, the, so that so that Desmond doesn't have to get a passport or a visa or anything. He can just kind of go down the street. Uh sort of. I mean, they're in like Europe. They're going all over the world in the modern day frame, too. Uh, there's also around this time is like when the first side games came out, um, Assassin's Creed Chronicles. Uh, there was really only one, uh, starring a, uh, a Chinese woman named Xiao Jun, who is the, uh, basically the, the Templar quote unquote, or their equivalent in China, um, wipe out the assassins and she meets Ezio at the end of his life. There's like a short film, a CG short film that was put out for this uh, to like capstone Ezio's life and to introduce this new character. The Chronicles games kind of flopped, but she's, she's got a really cool design uh, and I wish I could recommend getting this game, but I'm not sure it's even available to buy anymore. Cause it was another one of those like downloadable only Xbox 360 games. And I'm not sure they've ported it to anything else. Anyway, then we move on to the last bit of the Desmond games, uh, Assassin's Creed 3. <clears throat> so Assassin's Creed 3 uh, takes place in, oh, I should mention Ezio is like 14th century, 15th century. He's 15th century. Uh, and then we mm -hmm. fast forward again in time to the next protagonist, who is 18th century around the American Revolution, uh, a half Mohawk, half 
British man uh, whose father is the Grand Master of the American Templar. He ends up getting named Connor to avoid like his his Mohawk name um, would set him too far apart, which is kind of real for the immigrant experience here in America. But anyway, uh, so well, the, the, yeah, it's, it's, the Mohawks were not immigrants. In America. I know, uh, no, no, no. First. But for for <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? For someone who's not, you know, a, a, mm-hmm. a, a white American, basically. Um. So Connor ends up fighting in the revolution, trying to track down his father, Haytham Kenway, who is the leader of the, um, the, the leader of the American Templar. Uh, and we learn that Mohawk, uh, that Connor's particular Mohawk tribe, uh, has the duty of protecting this grand temple that I mentioned earlier. Um, so they were actually the guardians of it and Haytham met connor's mother when he came looking for it in the past um but he's as he's gotten older he's becoming more ruthless more merciless um so connor ends up working with a assassin named achilles davenport uh who is kind of a broken down old assassin who lost everything that name is so good i'm sorry to interrupt you but achilles davenport achilles davenport good name he's really cool because he's kind of like He's the first time we encounter an assassin who, like, doesn't really want to be an assassin anymore because he lost everything in the past. Um, anyway, Connor ends up getting embroiled in the revolution, works with Achilles, re- rebuilds the town around there. Um, I should also mention Achilles is is black. He's like the first major named black assassin protagonist, but we get a lot more of those very quickly after this. Um, Altair is obviously Middle Eastern. Uh we, I mentioned already Connor is um, he's half British, half Mohawk. And yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll describe a little bit of that mm-hmm. as we go. So we get we get a fairly diverse array of characters, although they're mostly guys right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and basically, this leads to Desmond being able to find the vault in the modern day. And he is able to activate all he's he's able to activate all of the stuff and save humanity, but it costs him his life. Uh, and one of the AIs, Juno, one of the Isu AIs, Juno is able to escape, uh, from whatever AI architecture was keeping her locked up in just Isu, uh, like ruins and stuff. And Juno is not a fan of humanity. Cause I mentioned before they're a servant race. So, uh, yeah, the, the, some of the Isu have, have very interesting opinions about humans. Well, I mean, I do too. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after this point, we get a bunch of like kind of spin-off games where uh, Abstergo has developed the Animus technology to the point where they don't, you don't have to be related to the person whose memories you're viewing, and they actually turn very exciting ancestral memories into like video games. So you actually play as like a video game developer or someone playing these games in a lot of these games that I'm about to mention. Uh, there's no real modern day frame story. Sometimes uh, an assassin like hacks in and communicates with you. Frequently you'll, you'll encounter Sean Hastings or Rebecca Crane. I think her name was, um, They'll they'll either contact you in the frame story uh, or there's one where you're actually you're like literally a video game developer and you walk into the development building and uh, like Rebecca and Sean are like 
baristas. Like, clearly they've got, like, a cover job in order to figure out what Abstergo's doing there. <laughs> um, but other than that, there's not really much to the frame story. Uh, even the Juno story bits kind of get relegated. I think the the conclusion to what happens with Juno ends up being revealed in, like, one of the comic books. So there are a bunch of comic books about different characters, and they're all canon. Uh, you don't have to read any of them to understand what's going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was pretty clear that at a certain point, they changed directions on where they wanted the overarching narrative to go. And so they finished out this other narrative in a comic book. Yeah, it's uh, finishing off narratives and other pieces of media. That's... Um that's a fun way to do things. <laughs> so this is, I mean, this is really kind of an era where uh, Assassin's Creed is still trying to figure out what it wants to be again. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's building on the past, but they're trying to introduce new cool stuff. Uh, so one of those games is Assassin's Creed Liberation, uh, which was like a PSP game. So not a lot of people played it until it was eventually ported uh, to be like a 360 game as well, or like a PlayStation game. Um, the PSP, if you don't recall, was play, uh, Sony's attempt at a handheld. Which was an awesome device, by the way. Just a quick shout out to it the PSP. It was, was, but it was really good. It was, it was, it had a lot of really great games that almost no one played. Because <laughs> it was, I love, I had one and I loved it. And then I like, it broke. And this was like right after the point in time where you could get one of them fixed. You know? There were like, <laughs> yeah, they were like gone. There was no longer a way to get them fixed. If you broke it, it was done. There were like two so. games that were really worth playing from that. One was Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker and the other was Assassin's Creed Liberation, both of which I've played when they ported to other consoles in the future. Anyway, Liberation, you play as a uh, French African assassin named Aveline de Grand Prix. Uh, in New Orleans. And uh, this is around the same time as Connor. So she actually meets Connor at one point. I should mention Connor is a really unpopular protagonist. I think because he's just, he's not, you know, we just had three games of Ezio who is incredibly charismatic. And then Connor is just very, a very serious protagonist. I don't want to say that there's like some racial undertones there too, as to which ones are people's favorites. But frequently when people are naming their favorites, <laughs> they name the, the white assassins. <laughs> I liked Connor. I thought he was really cool. You know, he was very dedicated. He just, he didn't have a lot of affect, I think is the major issue. Um, Liberation, though, Eveline is really interesting because she was raised, her stepmother, who she adored and who loved her, uh, raised her to, like, be a Templar, uh, but she ends up joining with um, the assassins, and the sides here are very much like the Templar are the rich slave owners, and the assassins are, like, you know, the, um, the, the, the Creole people that are, that are living outside the city. Um, and there's some very clear themes going on with this, uh, where Aveline, who, because she was born, uh, biracial and has a, you know, a wealthy white French father, um, and a very wealthy and affluent mother. Um, she can navigate like both sections of society, uh, and she ultimately ends up choosing the assassin side and plays a long con against her stepmother in order to get all of the American or at least the Louisiana Templar into one place 
and just take them all out, take them out all at once. She's she was really cool, very interesting. Uh, her the the kind of frame narrative for her game is that uh, she is a game. Uh, and it was meant to be pro-Templar propaganda because, oh, look at this, you know, this terrible person who murdered all these Templar who are just trying to do definitely, you know, these were not racist rich white people back in the day. <laughs> and like, uh, so it had been edited like that, but you're contacted by like a hacker who gives you like the real memories and the real ending because, you know, they the Templar, of course, choose to end her story at a very specific point. So uh, before we get to, to Meyer down in this, uh, they're like the the big name games, like the Black Flag Pirate game and the the is it Valhalla? Valhalla the, the is the Norse one. one. Yeah. yeah. So like, where where do they come into the story here? Because you haven't even mentioned them yet, and we're we're like pretty far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So four four is up next. Uh, four stars. I think it's Edward Kenway. He is Haytham Kenway's father and Connor's grandfather. So four takes place like a few decades before three, because that's not confusing at all. Uh, (laughs) um, And he is a Caribbean pirate. And basically the game is a Caribbean pirate adventure. There's not really like the, the, this is the frame story where you're the video game developer. uh, And so you occasionally have moments of where you're walking around the office before logging back into the game. Um, and he's searching for like a device that can find humans by their DNA. We learn that some Isu infuse their DNA into human lineages, uh, which is where like some of those sixth sense powers I talked about come from. Uh, occasionally it results in someone called a sage who has like memories of the Isu and it kind of drives them crazy or they have like this impulse to go to like an Isu site or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to get too much into his story. Basically he becomes an assassin for profit, uh, ends up and believing in the cause, but he's a terrible dad and his son Haytham actually at the beginning of Assassin's Creed three, you kill uh, Edward and it's not like, Hmm. Yeah, it's it's revealed later that his son Haytham, in order to join the Templars, is ordered to kill his father. Basically, um, <clears throat> it's a whole blot. Uh, so there's also a really cool spinoff for Black Flag called Freedom's Cry, which is about the Haitian Revolution. Uh, and, oh shit! And you play <laughs> as uh, Adewale, who is um, he was a member. I think he was Edward's first mate. And he ends up joining uh, with the Maroons and uh, working to liberate Haiti. Uh, and he, you know, he was he was very much a, a, a guy who was all about the money, very mercenary. Uh, but the conditions for, um, you know, the, the slaves in Haiti uh, just really, I mean, it, it, it forced him to, to get involved and consider who he was and what he was doing. Uh, and it is just, he's got, it's definitely one of the most interesting stories in, um, Assassin's Creed. I, I had no idea they had a Haitian revolution game and now I'm interested in checking it out because, uh, Haitian revolution is like one of the most like interesting and exciting pieces of human history in my opinion. So I'm definitely gonna, uh, I might check that out. Yeah. So there, it was originally like a DLC. It's like a smaller version of Assassin's Creed 4, which I should mention when I say it's a pirate game, you get a ship with cannons that you can upgrade throughout the game. And there's like a solid, like a huge chunk of the game, like at least 30% of the game is this naval pirate combat game. 
Uh, so I'll I'll play through anything if I get to to mercilessly slaughter French plantation owners in Haiti. I'll I'll take that any day. So Freedom's Cry was released by itself as well. So I'm counting it as its own individual game here uh, because it was just so good. It was much shorter than Assassin's Creed 4 because obviously it was a DLC using the same engine and everything. Uh, but it is a it is a very good game. It's got one of the best stories in Assassin's Creed. Uh, and then there's another related game that's also a big on the ship combat. So for for like a couple of years there, Assassin's Creed was about ship combat in addition to the assassin stuff, and that's where they were taking uh, that's where they were taking the gameplay. Uh, in Assassin's Creed Rogue, which was like the last gen game that came out around the same time as Assassin's Creed Four, basically had two games that came out. One was the next gen for PlayStation 3 or PlayStation, I think maybe in PlayStation 4. That was Black Flag. And then current gen got Assassin's Creed Rogue, uh, where you play as Shay Cormac. Uh, this one also takes place between, uh, this one takes place between 4 and 3. And Shay Cormac is an assassin in Achilles Davenport's assassin branch. And he turns traitor, joins the Templars because uh, the assassins were messing with things they couldn't control in the Isu artifacts. Uh, and he is actually the one who wipes out Achilles Davenport, Achilles Davenport's uh, assassins branch. So all of these games take place in like the same century, and they all like intermingle. Uh, the next two games aren't really worth talking about all that much. They've got interesting, kind of interesting plots. Uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, you play as Arno Dorian during the French Revolution, um, and you are involved in the French Revolution, like Napoleon is an ally of yours. Uh, and there's like, uh, I think there's a piece of Eden that's a sword in this one. So there are lots of different pieces of Eden. They're like staves and these apple device, apples of Eden and swords, and they all have different abilities and stuff. Uh, it's not worth getting into a bunch of it, but this is also the one where like the developer was like, it's too hard to animate women. <laughs> like they're oh, like, God. why? Didn't, you know, we had a whole bunch of like guy characters for a while. And yeah, that was seriously something like the, the developer was t talking about when asked, like, it's too hard. We'd have to, uh, we'd have to redo all these animations. Assassin's Creed is like Ubisoft, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, and Ubisoft. Yeah, they, if if you've been paying attention to the news in the last couple of years, has uh, had some issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. The next one is Syndicate. So this one's also kind of there's no real future story. This is still like game stuff. Uh, your these are video games uh, that people are hacking into getting the real memories. Uh, in Syndicate, it's the most future one. Uh, it takes place in 19th century London. Uh, where you play as two characters, actually, uh, Jacob and Evie Fry, brothers and sisters who have different, slightly different abilities and ways they play, uh, that are going after the Shroud of Eden, which is a healing device that's basically the Shroud of Turin. Uh, and there's one cool bit where you play as their descendant, a woman named Lydia Fry, during World War I. Uh, and so it's like during the Blitz of London. Uh, and you're going through and you uh, you fight some Nazis. So that's nice. It is, it is the only Assassin's Creed game where you get to kill some Nazis, if I recall correctly. So that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, killing Nazis feels good. Killing Haitian plantation owners probably also feels good. Or French plantation owners in Haiti. So At this point, there's still no real overarching main plot to go along with these. Uh, and that'll change 
basically up until now, the basic formula for Assassin's Creed has stayed the same. Uh, it's like you get a couple weapons, you've got your hidden blade. It's kind of stealthy, kind of janky. Um, these last two games mostly got rid of any ship combat. Uh, it was just like an open world game. They've all been open world games, I should mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's basically a soft reboot with Assassin's Creed Origins, which changes the gameplay into more of an action game where stealth is an option. Uh, mm. Origins is definitely, this is the coolest, these are the coolest ones. Uh, one, you, we get a new modern story protagonist in Layla Hassan. Uh, who is a historian working for Abstergo, who uh, chafes at their rules and ends up joining joining up with the assassins in order to go into these historical figures. We also jump back way back in time to the first century BCE and learn about the formation of the assassins, or at the time they're called the Hidden Ones, uh, where there's you play as um, uh, Bayek, who's an Egyptian Medjai, uh, who is basically they're like the a sheriff back in the day. Um, and your son is killed because of this, uh, this group called the order of the ancients who are kind of like the predecessors to the Templar. Um, and your wife, you go off and you do your like, you're trying to hunt people down and you're, um, uh, you're mourning in your own way, but your wife has kind of figured out what's going on with this Order of the Ancients. She has some, her family has some relation to it. And so you basically play catch up with her throughout the game while she is essentially setting up the Assassin's Order <laughs> and you kind of become the face of it so that she can re- uh, remain like hidden and run things behind the scenes. You run the Egyptian version. She ends up running the Greek version. Uh, the I'm sorry, the, the, the Roman version. Uh, version and in this game you actually you recruit brutus and you kill caesar um you help assassinate caesar uh it's great so these games are just anti-italian propaganda is what you're telling well me. in all of these we're killing games caesar we're killing popes like any we just hate rome any major historical character uh that is somewhat related to the time frame they're in they will loop in either they will help the assassins uh, whether or not they know about the big fight or they're going to help like the Templar folks. Um, but it's pretty cool. It's like it's literally about the the founding of the Hidden Ones. Um, and Bayek and Aya are just really great characters. Uh, and then you get the one that really revitalized the franchise, which is Odyssey. This goes back even further in time to the 5th century BCE uh, to ancient Greece Um you play as either Cassandra or Alexios, and uh, depending on which sibling you pick, the other sibling ends up working with the bad guys. Uh, you're a descendant of Leonidas of 300 fame, uh, <laughs> and you're armed with the Spear of Leonidas, which is actually an Isu artifact that, because of your unique bloodline, you're able to activate. So, like, you are um, one of those people who has, like, modified somewhat Isu DNA. Uh, and in this one, they go like full fantasy-ish, like all of the Greek myths are the result of like Isu artifacts, either they're holograms or it's something that was been genetically engineered. And ancient Greece is just rife with all of this um, ancient Isu technology. Uh, and in this one, you're at odds with something called the Cult of Cosmos, um, which are like all of these people are basically like Isu worshippers or something like that. 
Um, your dad is actually Pythag- Pythagoras, uh, Pythagoras, sorry, of the Pythagorean theorem fame. Uh, and he has a staff that has basically let him live for centuries. And your mother's bloodline and your bloodline both have like different genetic modifications, making you, and you are the ancestor of Aya. And Aya is like, you know, as the founder of the assassins, basically like everyone, all of the important assassins trace back to your character in Odyssey. Um, in some way, shape, or form, for the most part. Um, Layla has a very interesting arc here, but they, I don't know, I don't want to get too much into Layla's arc. Layla's pretty cool, yeah. and we don't have a whole lot of time left. So let's jump forward to Valhalla. Uh, yeah, this is the game. This that, is the current um, game, yeah. Yeah, this is the one that I think is, has had a lot of, like, cultural appearance lately, because, like, for a long time, people weren't really talking that much about Assassin's Creed, and I think Valhalla really uh, sparked a new conversation about it. So Valhalla continues with Layla. Um, Layla teams up with Sean Hastings and Rebecca Crane. Uh, we learn a little bit more about, you know, Desmond, and there's some um, there. There's a little bit of like if if you didn't play those early games, it kind of reminds you who Desmond is. Uh, I don't want to spoil this one because this one is one that people are actually playing right now. And there's like a final story DLC coming out for it. But the gist of this one is you are ninth century Viking. I'm going to say woman, but you can play, you can choose a man or woman. But I, I, I think the, the, the female Ivor is the correct choice on this one. <laughs> She's not an assassin. She's a leader of a Viking clan that gets embroiled in a conflict where the order of the ancients from origins uh, is in England around where she settles and she meets uh Basim who is a, a Middle Eastern assassin sent to foil them and neither Ivor nor Basim um or Basim I'm sorry uh are like true believers uh and Ivor it turns out is you know I mentioned that some people had like Isu DNA there was a project mm-hmm. by a faction of Isu back in the day, uh, led by Odin. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry, Odin is an Isu. Uh, yes. So basically all the okay. ancient gods okay. are are Isu. Or the way it's framed is like they are the inspiration for the god myths. And humans, you know, have remembered the high technology as like magic and basically stuff like that. In any case, Ivor is um, this from this other project that is meant to reincarnate essentially the Norse gods into human form. Uh, But she gets an injury as a child that prevents Odin from fully manifesting and taking over her her body, essentially. Uh, and so he just like appears to her throughout the game and gives her advice. And we slowly learn that he's from this project that basically injected their personalities into human DNA. And then after uh, the right combinations will awaken um, their personalities. Uh, and I'm going to leave it at that. Basically, Ivor is there to make alliances in England and secure her tribes or her clan's uh, land there. Um, and they, honestly, these are the most interesting of the characters. Cause like I said, they're not true believers. 
Uh, we see a little bit of the formation of the Templar Order as things go on here, um, taking over from the Order of the mm-hmm. Ancients as basically a high-ranking Order of the Ancients person decides he actually wants to take the Order of the Ancients down. They're not doing things right. And uh, because the church is kind of involved, that's where the Templar Order comes from originally. And yeah, that was a ton that was a ton. <laughs> These games are so confusing. Well, not confusing. They're just, there's a lot of lore here. There's also like a movie that flopped. It is technically canon, but oh, you don't God. you don't have to watch it to understand anything. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's technically canon. The best kind of canon. The technically canon. The, uh, well, I mean, it's technically, <laughs> yeah, technically it's, it's canon. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's, there's some magic stuff like that, too. So, yeah, so to bring it back around, um, where would you recommend someone who uh, who is like excited about this collaboration that's coming up with Magic and Assassin's Creed? Where would you recommend them start with Assassin's Creed? Do they need to go back and play the original uh, and learn about Altair, or do they need to like? Can they jump in somewhere more recent? Yes. Is it even so, possible to play the original anymore? Origins. I mean, you can find basically all of these games are available right now. Um, if you want to play like the old games, probably the best one to start with that's is um like the Ezio series, because that's a character you can latch on to. Um if you want to start with like the more recent games, the more recent gameplay, like Origins, Odyssey, and Valhalla, uh, while they're all connected by the modern frame story, uh, and they have some slight connections, uh like only if you're looking for it, you find it kind of stuff. These are games that you can play 100 hours in and not have to have played a single previous Assassin's Creed to understand what's going on in those particular games. Um, so honestly, I would say just start with any of them. Uh, Valhalla, mm-hmm. like I said, Valhalla, you don't even play as a Viking. You play as someone who allies with the Viking and you get you get the lore dump you need. Like the Assassins are like, oh yeah, we're ho- here hunting the Order of the Ancients. Um and we learn that there are like these ancient Isu folks, but for the most part, it's just you. <coughs> Excuse me. It's just you leading your Viking friends around England, trying to secure alliances and, you know, fighting various English factions and sometimes other Vikings. You know, the, the nice part about this mm-hmm. is there is an overarching, uh, like frame story if you want it, but for the most part, you can ignore it um like there are moments where you'll get out of the animus and you have the chance to like talk to people and the the modern plot moves on uh but you can also just basically like sit right back down and get right back into the game and just (laughs) completely ignore (laughs) you can ignore the modern frame as much as you want and just play through like ivar ivor's story or cassandra's story or bayek's story um and have a lot of fun now now, I guess my uh, my next question is more tailored specifically to you. I I know you can't speculate about magic story. You probably don't know anything that's about this collaboration. Can you like think of how wizards could work on like what what do you think would be a really cool collaboration between Assassin's Creed and magic? Are we thinking like Itzio commander decks? Are we thinking like. Uh, the secret layer with like reskinned cards like what would you want to see from that collaboration i think um because of the different the vastly different time periods it would be hard to do like 
they couldn't do like a Lord of the Rings style set without having like mm-hmm. drastically different time periods next to each other. So, uh, you know, like if you want to spark, if, if the set is going to have like Spartans, but also like British soldiers from the Revolutionary War. Okay, fine. Uh, but that might be a little jarring. My personal preference, and this is just my personal preference, I know nothing about what this product is going to be. Um, I would like to see like the Warhammer 40k style commander decks and just pick like the most popular uh, assassins. So like have an Ezio deck, have a Ivor deck, have a Cassandra deck. And then pick a pick a fourth, um, maybe Aveline, <laughs> you know, someone someone to kind of round out the cast appropriately, um, and then have like the deck flavored to their particular era and their stuff, maybe with recurring artifacts like the Hidden Blade. Um, mm-hmm. They are assassins, and there is an assassin mechanic in Magic uh, that would might be interesting. Yeah, I figure any of these will have to have like tap, destroy target, tapped creature. Like that's just kind of, you know, maybe yeah, a requirement. But, <laughs> but I, I would like to see, you know, like I, I could easily see a 60 card deck framed around each assassin. And these assassins are very mm-hmm. different people. You know, Ezio might be like red, blue, white by the end, while Ivor is more like black red green uh, you know so and i'm just i'm just spouting this off the top of my head please don't argue please don't argue with me about i don't know what colors these characters would be in the in the case of this interview for anyone listening uh jay is just a fan of magic who's like an expert on the lore of assassin's creed that's why we're talking to jay so anything (laughs) anything he says here is not to be associated with like deep lore of magic yeah I think I think they could very easily pull four assassins who are who have very different colors uh, and create very uh, create interesting commander decks out of it. I hope that's what they do. It may end up just being like a Street Fighter secret layer where you get uh, where it's like you can buy online eight different assassins from eight different games. You've, they've got more than enough mm-hmm. assassins to fill out a roster like that. <laughs> um Part of the issue, I think, is most of the villain. Like, while the assassins are original characters, most of the villains are like historical figures. So, do you really want like Leonardo da Vinci, who is one of Ezio's friends, as a card? Like, how how, how silly are we going to go there? <laughs> I would love a Borgia Pope card personally. Uh, um, I think that would be great. Yeah, there. I mean, there are a few um, like modern day abstergo templar allied characters that are pretty cool there's like otto bergman i think is his name or otto berg uh and there's another guy who abstergo had kidnapped before uh desmond who ends up joining the templars uh that who so who he's like a templar assassin otto is like a special forces guy who's really only with them because they have the patent on the only drug that can save his daughter's life and stuff like that. Uh, they could make pretty cool bad guys in this, but I think ultimately we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for spouting all of the deep lore of Assassin's Creed because, uh, I had no idea any of this existed. I just figured it was a game about jumping off of, uh, tall buildings and, uh, climbing walls. No, it's a hundred percent that it is. It is a hundred percent 
you climb up a wall, you jump off a wall, you climb up a wall, you jump off a wall, at least until Origins. And then in Origins, it's got much more of a um, much more of the more traditional action, modern action game where it's like got slight RPG elements where you can upgrade yourself and your equipment and, and stuff like that. Well, uh, it's exciting. It's uh, it's cool that we're getting these like weird universes beyond crossovers that no one would have expected. Did not expect a Magic the Gathering ex Ubisoft. Um, Final game, Fantasy uh, sounds really cool too, God, but that's just yeah, we've that's gotta, so huge. I wouldn't even know where to like. Each Final Fantasy game could have an entire multiverse beyond. If we wanted to. Uh, if we wanted to invite someone on to talk about Final Fantasy, I think we'd have to have like 15 episodes, one for each yeah. game. Because it's, uh, it's, well, and then 14 would take like an entire, like, you know, whole series on its own. Oh my God. That's, that's a whole world. Uh, but yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on and talking uh, beyond the multiverse for Assassin's Creed. Uh, looking forward to whatever the heck comes out of this collaboration. <laughs> uh, we'll see what they do. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, if you enjoyed this Beyond the Multiverse, just uh, subscribe to our Patreon, follow us on Twitter, follow us on SoundCloud, uh, join our Discord server where people find out about these before they're released and they're not just surprises. So, um, yeah, it's uh, thanks for uh, thanks for listening to Beyond the Multiverse. Uh, this is a special episode from the Vorthos cast.